1090. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Then Moses and the priests, who are the Levites, said to all of Israel, Be silent, O Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees I give you today. Deuteronomy, the 27th chapter. The altar on Mount Ebal. These words struck my heart. Be silent, O Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. You have become the people of the Lord your God as opposed to being your own people, as opposed to being a free people in a democracy or republic? Cuts against the grain to ask the question, who do you belong to? I don't belong to anybody. I'm my own. I own me. Really. We have to come to terms with who owns us. always with politicians, the question is, who owns them? Whose interests are they going to defend and support? It's obvious that the President of the United States obeys those that he belongs to. Congressmen, senators, some have even said, the Supreme Court. They belong to those who own them. Who owns you today? I received a phone call this morning as I was preparing for the broadcast, and a young person said to me, Pastor, I've been willing to follow Jesus but he's just not doing the things that I need to have done. And so I'm seriously thinking of leaving this walk with Jesus. Well, I said to him, so in other words, Jesus does not own you, you own Jesus. And he's supposed to do for you what you want him to do. And if he doesn't, then you're going to walk away from him and find someone else who will do what you want him to do. So essentially, I said, you're telling me that you are God and that you expect people to serve you in the way you want them to serve you. And if they don't, you blow them off and you find someone who will serve you the way you want to be served. I mean, how many times have 
have you sat down in a restaurant and said to the waiter, I'll have. What do you mean you'll have? What happened to please may I have? No, it's not please may I have. You're a servant, waiter. You go do what I want you to do. And at the end, if you do it my way, I might give you a little bit of a tip of money. There's a there's a natural, arrogant, inborn spirit in all of us that says, look, I know what I want you to do, and you better do it, or I'll find someone who will. This arrogant heart was utterly broken in the children of Israel as they spent year after year wandering in the desert because they would not stop grumbling. They would not stop complaining. They would not stop making demands on God and let God make demands upon them. It's, it's God who, who wants to make the requests of us. It's God who rules. When I look further in this story in Deuteronomy, I find in the 28th chapter this stunning list. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Well, what's this blessing based upon? It's based upon God owning us as his people. It is not based on our owning God. It sounds rather rude, doesn't it? Even talk about our owning God. And yet there is a an inborn sense of entitlement in most of us who are Americans. Thinking we deserve something special. That we are the owners, the bosses. That we rule. All of these blessings are promised. But I would ask you today, Have you been established as one of God's holy people? Do you walk in his ways? Do you keep the commands of the Lord your God? Or do you think that you should receive all of the wonderful blessings of God and be free to go your own way and do whatever you want to do? This chapter goes on and on and on with the blessings, and then suddenly it transitions 
it transitions. If you do not obey the Lord your God and are not careful to follow all of his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, then all of these curses will come upon you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. The Lord will send on you curses of confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to. But as this young person said to me this morning, others are very successful in their work and they're not following Jesus. Well, there were nations around Israel that were prospering. God was not bringing any curses upon them. In fact, they were living very prosperous lives. So, what's the difference between the children of Israel and the Philistines? Well, the Philistines can go ahead and live any way they want to live. They can create their own blessings. They can create their own prosperity. They can create whatever they want to create. They can build Ashkelon, the great city. Very sophisticated culture, a warrior-like people, very successful in battle. The curses of God don't come upon them. Why? Well, as the scriptures teach, because the Philistines were dead. They were dead in their transgressions and sins. They were dead men and women walking. And as such, they were allowed to create whatever reality they chose to create, even as Cain did. What was Cain doing after he left the Garden of Eden and his parents and the family? Well, he went out and built a city. He became the first merchant, the first salesman. He built a city for commerce and trade. He was allowed to go out and build whatever he wanted to build because he was a dead man. The judgment of God was upon him. He was a murderer. And now as a, as a murderer, he's go do whatever he wants to do until the earth was utterly full of the violence of men, and God finally looked down and saw the violence and said, I have to bring it to an end. And then the great flood came and washed them all away, drowned them. But it appears that people are allowed to create whatever reality they choose to create and be extremely successful in the creation of that reality. But see, it comes back to this passage I shared with you in Deuteronomy 27. God has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He has used Egypt literally as a womb, and he has given birth to a people. 
These people are now considered by God to belong to him. He owns them. And so Moses and the priests who are Levites and all the, and said to all of Israel, Be silent, O Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Okay, now as people of the Lord your God, you are no longer allowed to do the same things that the Philistines are allowed to do. Now, when we come to the New Testament, and we come specifically to the book of Ephesians, let me read for you this passage. It's in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'll begin with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians and telling them, You were dead. Everyone is dead. We were born dead. We were the dead walking. We lived in darkness. We were controlled by the spirit of the air. Now, some of these dead people decide that they have a great interest in religion. And so they begin to practice religion. You find some people who get very excited about Buddhism and yoga. And they go through great discipline to practice the arts of the Buddhist teachings. They deny themselves. They discipline their flesh. They work very diligently on improving their bodies in yoga. They practice meditation. You find others who are Hindus who get up every morning and pray to their elephant god. Or you find the Sikh who every morning early before its light, goes into his prayer room and lights his candle and his incense and bows before the God of the Sikhs. You also find people who say, I'm a Christian. And they 
pray and they fast and they give of their money and they do all manner of things. But they're as dead as the Buddhists or the Hindus or the Sikhs. They're dead because they have never been willing to give up the ownership of themselves into the hands of Jesus. A Buddhist wants to use the disciplines of Buddhism to improve his life. The Sikh Indian, desiring to gain great wealth, will exercise what is necessary for him with his God to acquire great wealth. Some people come to Jesus and become Christians in order to gain great wealth. And many pastors today spend their time preaching to these people and telling them what they must do in order to accomplish the goals that they desire to accomplish. What's the difference between a Buddhist who fasts and a Christian who fasts if they are doing it for their own self-improvement? They are using their Buddhism, they are using their Hinduism, they are using the Sikhs' religion, they are using Muhammad and Islam. They are using Christianity in order to improve their lives, in order to feel happy inside in order to feel content inside. They're using their religion as a tool for self-improvement. What is the difference between these religions? If this is all the Christian faith is, there is no difference between it and Hinduism or Islam. The difference in the Christian faith is that we do not remain in darkness. We do not remain in death. And that calls for faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by faith? I mean an absolute conviction, persuasion that what you are doing is that Jesus Christ might take full ownership of your life, that you are completely giving yourself as a humble servant into the hands of of Jesus, that he might use you in any way he desires to use you. It's hard to talk about this in a way that it can be understood because so many have said, yes, you must have faith in Jesus, but they have neglected to tell you what Jesus taught. 
that you must deny yourself, what are you going to deny? You're going to deny the ownership of your life. You are going to deny the right that every human being has to be in control of his own life. You are denying yourself all of the benefits of darkness. And you are now coming out into the light of Jesus Christ, as he speaks about in the book of John. You are coming out into the light of Jesus Christ, and you are willingly confessing, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. So you are denying the fleshly evil of self-ownership and control over your life. This is not, I'm going to do it today and take it back tomorrow. This is an unending, absolute covenant of surrender to Jesus Christ. You deny yourself, and then you must take up the cross, and you must follow Jesus. Where are you following Jesus? And what is the cross? The cross is the instrument of death. The death of your life must be put to death. The wickedness of your life must be put to death. Your lust after the things of darkness must be put to death. So you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, and as you follow him, he leads you to a Gethsemane and then to a cross, a place of execution. Now this righteousness cannot be in a man who is still alive. If you still are directing your own steps and you use Jesus and the Christian faith as some kind of symbol of good luck in your life or good teaching principles that you choose to live by because you have the greatest advantage if you live that way, you have not yet given up the control over your life. You've not yet given up the power over your life. You have not yet given up and died on that cross on Calvary. Now, for some, this process of dying to the death happens very quickly. And then immediately you are brought into the school of the Holy Spirit. And in the school of the Holy Spirit, you are brought into great suffering 
not because there is some intrinsic value in suffering. It is simply the way that Jesus must lead you to bring forth the final death of self and to bring forth the final product of love and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you look with me in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, and you look at the 11th chapter, the word comes, therefore strengthen your feeble arms, verse 12, and your weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So there is a work that you must engage in that is the will of God, and you do it as a service rendered to him. But let's look specifically at what you must do. You must endure hardship as discipline. In other words, every hardship that comes into your life, instead of pushing it away, we are called to embrace it. Instead of complaining about it and being angry about it, we are to embrace it as discipline from God. Now, that doesn't mean we have to like it. But it does mean we have to let this hardship accomplish in our heart the destruction of the bitter root, the bitter poison root of self. He said just a moment before, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline or education. This is the school of the Holy Spirit. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, or he flogs everyone he accepts as a son. In other words, you now belong to Jesus Christ if you are a true Christian. And and out of the outflow of your heart comes complete submission and surrender and consecration to Jesus Christ. You no longer own your money. You no longer own your time. You no longer own anything in your life. You are now a servant, a do-loss slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are several words for for servant or slave in the Scripture, in the New Testament. And one word for servant means you have the right to have your own family and you can't be separated. You have the right of ownership of property. But there's another word, do loss, It means you have no right of family. 
It means you have no right of property, that you can be sent to work wherever the master wants to send you. He can do whatever he wishes with you. You belong to him. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a do-loss slave. You give up all your rights. You give them to Jesus Christ. And you're now going to operate according to his commands and according to his prompts. And you are going to go through a process of strengthening your feeble arms and your weak knees. You're going to be used in making level paths for other people so that they will not be disabled but rather healed. In verse 8 he says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. If you walk away from the discipline of God in your life, if you insist on holding on to this religious spirit where you're in charge and you use Jesus and the Christian faith to accomplish what you desire, you are what the Scripture calls an illegitimate child. You refuse discipline. You push it away. You find ways to be comfortable in spite of it. You want to keep your religion. He says, We've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? It does not say submit to the spirit of professional sports. It does not say submit to the spirit of ambition for money. It does not say submit to the spirit of rebellion. It says, Submit to the Father of our spirits. It says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Holiness, hagios. What does it mean? Set apart for a special purpose. If you've been brought to life in Jesus Christ, and we're going to go back and read that in Ephesians, if you've been brought to life in Jesus Christ, it is for a special purpose, and it is not for your purpose. It is for the purpose of God. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A harvest of righteousness. 
A harvest of righteousness only comes out of the discipline of God. When a man finally begins to cry out for God, when a man finally begins to see that he is dead in trespasses and sins, and every man who is not in Christ Jesus is dead in trespasses and sins, when a man finally begins to see his true condition before God, and he begins to move away from the cheap shallowness of simply using the Christian faith as a religion to accomplish his own goals, and he begins to understand that he must submit to the Father of his spirit, And this painful discipline begins to take place in his life. God can then begin to bring innocence and righteousness into your life. This is not innocence or righteousness that is created by the spirit of man to accomplish something for himself. This is something outside of man. This is the supernatural work of God. As God begins to come in and move with power to prompt you, to tell you to do this or don't do that. Some of you say, well, God doesn't speak to me that way. Well, he doesn't speak to you that way because you are too consumed with your own wicked flesh, comforting yourself either in your religion or in disobedience. And after the Holy Spirit calls you a number of times and you say no every time and blow him off, you begin to move away from him and your heart begins to be seared and hardened Let me read that for you. It's back here in the book of Ephesians again. Verse 13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Supernatural work. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And then you come, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he begins to list the things that belong to our earthly nature. And number one is sexual immorality. Two, impurity. Three, lust. Wow, those are the first three hot topics for every television show in America, it seems. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. It says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. He goes on talking about what's what's been done. What happened? That's Colossians, the second chapter. Look with me now in Ephesians. I want to show you this in Ephesians. Let's begin with... Um, Let's begin with chapter 4. So I tell you this, and I insist on it, and in the, in the Hebrew it's much more demanding than that. In the, in the, in, I'm sorry, in the Greek it's much more demanding. In the Greek it says, I demand this of you, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. In other words, they're dead men and women because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How do you do that? You die to it. That's what the cross is all about. You die to it. You make that choice to die to death that you could have life. See, all of us were born into death. We were born into darkness. We were born into a selfish spirit, a self-centered spirit. We were born into an attitude, I'm in charge, I'll take care of myself, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'll do what I want to do, and you're not going to tell me otherwise. I'm in charge of my life, you're not. That's the attitude. I have a right to do and be, and think, and feel, whatever I want. That's the person who's dead. When they come to life in Christ Jesus, that all changes. And now we utterly give ourselves over into his hand. And that's when the fruit of the Spirit can begin to be born in our hearts, and in our lives. So, the question I would ask, are you operating out of your own heart 
doing things that are perhaps good. It's good that the Buddhist man fasts and denies himself certain foods. It's good that the Christian will spend time reading the Bible. It's good that the the man from Islam will read the Quran. All of those things can bring self-improvement, whether for a Buddhist or Hindu or a Christian, but they're all still dead. They're all still dead. The practice of religion does not save a person. Even the practice of the Christian religion will not save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can atone for your sins. And the only way you can access that blood is by being crucified with Christ and entering into his death and totally and completely giving up your life and becoming a consecrated servant of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can enter into life. I'm going to open our telephones today if you'd like to call and share. We have plenty of time. Testimony, asking for prayer. Your thoughts about the issues that I've been speaking about? Call quickly, 877-534-0780. Again, that number here in studio is 877-534-0780. If you'd like to call, you're welcome to call right now. I'd be happy to talk with you. Now, while I wait for your call, because I know if I continue teaching, you won't call, you'll listen. It's time to jump on the telephone and share your testimony with someone. Or share your understanding with someone. 877-534-0780. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'd like to give you our mailing address if you'd like to be a part of this broadcast, making certain that it remains on the air. We do that with tithes and offerings, just like at church. Except I can't pass the offering plate here to you personally but you can mail your offering, your tithe, to the National Prayer Chapel for Pilgrim's Progress Radio. I think many of you have been giving. Last month is paid for, and I'm rejoicing in that. Our address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, 
the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, and the zip 22195. You're also welcome to come and worship with us. The National Prayer Chapel rents space from the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. That address, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Our phones are wide open. You're welcome to call. I'd love to hear from some of you. What is it that Jesus is doing in your heart? And are you walking in the fullness of a servant of the Most High God? Are you a servant of Jesus? 877-534-0780. While I wait for you to call, let's go back to Deuteronomy. There's a passage of Scripture there that is absolutely astonishing. It again is closely associated with what we opened with today, with the promises and with the curses. This is chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, verse 16. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure or be certain there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord, our God, to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. The word to the children of Israel is, you belong to God. Now, because you belong to the Lord God of heaven, do not turn aside. Do not turn aside to the gods of this world, whatever those gods may be, but instead remain in the humble service of the Lord God of heaven. Don't turn aside. It says, when such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster. This will bring disaster. Well, let's go to our phone lines. Again, the number is 877 
534-0780. I'm sorry, Mr. Producer, I can't hear what you're saying to me. Waiting for word on what's happening in the control room. All right. They're telling me that we have a caller who wants prayer for his spiritual health, but he'd rather not go online. Well, you know what? Let's pray for him. Mighty God of heaven, I don't know who this brother is who just called, but he knows that he's not right with you. He knows that there is sin in his heart. And he knows that that means he's being dragged back into the darkness. And that if that doesn't quickly change in his life, he will lose everything. For there is no neutral ground, Almighty God. You set it up so that either a man walks in the darkness or walks in the light. Lord, I pray that this man today will be touched by your Holy Spirit and that you will come now and begin to move inside of his heart, his mind, his spirit. And would you bring forth what you desire to accomplish in his life? <clears throat> Lord, don't let him... Don't let him continue to walk in casualness of spirit, but put a great burden of conviction into him to get serious and search after you. And Lord, there are many others today who could have called saying the same thing. For Lord, many of those who listen day after day are practicing religion. They're not walking in the fullness of your spirit. They still are controlled and concerned with their life, and they want you to help them with their life. Lord, I pray right now that men and women will make the decision to become servants of the Most High God and to give up their life, to stop the fighting and the bickering, to stop the lust and all of the things of the flesh that rise up to steal from us the gift of salvation and life and light. Lord, come with power. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, there's just a minute left in our broadcast today. I urge you to go to the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy. Read it carefully and prayerfully. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find videos and podcasts. You can subscribe there. You can leave comments there. I'd love to have you come and visit the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday. You'll find the directions there on our webpage at nationalprayerchapel.com. There is a transition that must take place from darkness to light. 
from religion to true faith in Jesus Christ. From being a master to being a servant. From being self-centered to being Christ-centered. And this last passage I read from Deuteronomy speaks about don't think you can continue to go your own way and be in charge of your own life and still call yourself one who lives in the light of Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. There is a deep surrendering of the heart, and I urge you to just get down on your face before God and begin to plead with him to reveal to you the sin of your life and the condition of your spirit. Ask him to open for you the gates of righteousness. Ask that his will be accomplished in your life and in your family's life. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, my brother my sister. I look forward to talking with you soon. The presence of his glory with great joy. With